The views, comments, stories, and opinions within this podcast are my own or those of my guests, and in no way represent the views of the company or companies that I or we work for. looked at each other and laughed and went is this guy freaking serious are, are you shitting me right now is this guy did he just call us the little guys squawk ident is an entertainment podcast dedicated to the journey and the challenges surrounding the life and career of aviator tony an airline pilot currently flying for a legacy airline with close to 20 years on the flight line this is episode four of squawk ident recorded on October 15th, 2019, from the 28th floor of the Prince Waikiki Hotel of Honolulu on the island of Oahu, Hawaii. On this episode of Squawk Ident, from there we were. We're gonna dive into long-ass captain PAs. You've been on airplanes before where the captain just keeps going on and on and on. And we're gonna talk a little bit about that. From the flight line, we're going to outline what it's like to fly from Los Angeles International to Honolulu, Hawaii. And we'll dive into some of the procedures that are required to do a Trans-Pacific Crossing. And we'll talk about non-normal procedures. Where do you go when you're over the water and have nowhere to divert to and something goes wrong? And you know something's wrong when all the hair on the back of your neck suddenly stands up. And from the Struggle is Real segment, we'll talk about how to deal with your family being home, going through the motions of their everyday life while you are on a tropical island. It's not all Mai Tais and sand on the beach. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show as we dive into these topics and many more. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to episode four. I'd like to take a moment to thank all of the listeners to Squawk Ident and thank all of those who have reached out for the support and the generous donations. We couldn't put this podcast on without your support. So I encourage you to download, share, check out the website at www.aviatortony. That's Alpha Victor, the number eight, Romeo Tango, Oscar November, Yankee.com. From that website, you can download episodes. You can go to the online aviator store, purchase merchandise that all supports this podcast. You can also make a donation, either one-time donation on the homepage or through Spotify. You can do monthly donations. All of it goes towards producing this podcast. Thanks again for tuning in and let's get on with the show. So this week I had a really wonderful trip. It started out with a 2-2-1. Now, from previous shows, you may remember that that means we're two legs on the first day, two legs on the second day, and there's going to be one leg on the third day, actually going into a fourth. So let me explain. So day one, uh, we left 
Los Angeles International early in the morning, headed out to Indianapolis, did about an hour and 30 minute sit there, turned around, ended up in Phoenix. So overnighted in Phoenix, relatively nice overnight. We talked about the Phoenix overnight uh, about two or three shows ago, and in, it did not disappoint. So the next day, Phoenix to Los Angeles, an aircraft swap, and then the leg from LAX to Honolulu. And on this show, I thought I'd talk a little bit about what is involved with a Trans-Pacific Crossing. You have to be internationally called in order to do it because there are procedures and radio communications that are not what you would normally do on a domestic flight. More on the Trans-Pacific Crossing later on in the show. But for now, let's start out the show with long-ass Captain P.A.'s. So many years ago, I was based in Los Angeles for a regional carrier. And I was paired up with a captain I've never flown with before. And I pretty much knew most everybody at that base at the time. It was a relatively small base, and I had been there quite a bit. And so I'm flying with this captain. And he shows up like 15 minutes prior to departure. And he says to me, you know, I, I was waiting for you in the crew room, I, you know, and yeah, you weren't there. I, you know, I like to talk to my FOs on, you know, before we go flying. And I said, well, I'm sorry, Captain. I, I, I come up to the airplane usually 45, 30 minutes prior or whatever, you know, whenever the plane gets here. And I, I do the walk around and, and, you know, I usually meet up the captain in the cockpit. And he goes, well, well, fine, fine, fine. He goes, uh, well, I'm running a little bit behind. So, uh. Uh, pardon me, I, I'm, I'm going to use the restroom. I'm like, fine. Okay. So he goes, uses the lav, comes back. Now it's, you know, less than 10 minutes to departure. And it takes him about 10 minutes to, you know, set up his cockpit, do his flows, his procedures, get the paperwork taken care of uh, prior to the flight. And usually it takes a little longer than that, at least at a regional carrier um, that I was working for. So, you know, he starts asking me questions. Well, so where are you from? You know, where do you live? What'd you do before this? You know, the typical questions that you get. And I, you know, said, okay, uh, yeah, this is what I did before. I worked here and, you know, got in aviation this way. Just real, you know, cliff notes, real uh, short explanation. And he goes, oh, okay, great. Oh, great, 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 great. And he goes, okay. So, you know, the gate agent comes on and says, hey, you ready to shut the door? It's, you know, this is how many people you have and we're good to go. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. So he, he has them shut the door and and normally at that point, we start running checklists and we start getting ready to go and push off the gate. And he says, you know, I, I got to make a PA. I haven't made a passenger PA. He goes, so I'll be right back. He goes, uh, uh, but first, uh, let's talk to these rampers. So, so he talks to the ramper. He says, oh, secure, let's you know, drop the brake. You know, okay, fine. So he, he has this communication with the ramper that, to drop the brake, which means the clock starts. And so... That's a topic for another time, but how pilots get paid at an airline is completely dependent upon the flight time. Uh, so how do we control that? Usually, in different airplanes, uh, different airlines have different procedures. At the time, the regional airline that I was flying for, uh, when the aircraft door was closed and the brake was released 
when connected to the tug and positive communication was established with the tug driver. When the brake came down uh, or was released, that's when the clock started, the flight time clock. And uh, in essence, that's when the pilots start getting paid, the flight attendants and whatnot. So uh, he did that. And then he said, okay, I'm going to make a PA now. And he went on for, I kid you not, 20 minutes. He gave a dissertation. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome aboard. My name is uh, Captain, we'll call him uh, Captain Tim. My name's Captain Tim, and, and uh, you know, we're going to be flying today in this aircraft. It's an Embraer 145. It's uh, powered by two Allison engines and... Uh, he was giving thrust capacity and, you know, where the airplane was built. Uh, he started talking about uh, Los Angeles Airport and, and what the terminal was, where we were, and, and how we were going to be pushed off the gate and what taxiways we were going to. And, I mean, it was like I was on the Disney Jungle Tour. Meanwhile, the, the rampers are looking up in the cockpit like, what's going on up there? And I just, I give him a shrug my shoulders and I'm like, you know, he's, he's making a PA, I don't know what to tell you. And so he went on and he says, oh, and, and command of the flight today uh, is going to be my first officer, Tony. He's, uh, he joins us here from a, a previous career and he starts giving every minute detail that I had just given him about my background. And I'm thinking, wow, that's really not uh, professional. It's not necessary here. You know, you're. I didn't ask you to do that. You didn't even ask me if that's okay, you know. So I'm already, you know, he's already on a bad foot with me. So, you know, this went on, and he's talking about, you know, we're going to be taxiing past the Tom Bradley International Airport, and no, 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 no. And I'm thinking, man, those passengers must think this guy's a, a real clown or something, you know. It's, so we finally push off the gate, and we taxi out. We It's a quick flight. At that time, I think it was uh, L.A. to Santa Barbara, and it's literally a 20-minute flight. So we get up, and as soon as we're through 10,000 feet, you know, you get the ding, and we're out of sterile, and he's, oh, I'm going to be in the back. So he's making a PA. He's given the whole geography of the area. He's talking about the San Andreas Fault. You know, he's just giving them another dissertation on the landscape of Southern California. And meanwhile, I'm kind of monitoring the aircraft and talking to ATC and, and, and taking care of business. And so he comes back. He's okay, okay. He goes, uh, well, let me brief this thing up. So he, he does a briefing for the approach, uh, and, you know, we start our descent, and we land. And as soon as we, you know, clear the runway, we get to the gate. And, of course, we're late, okay, because it's a 20-minute flight, and he, he burned 20 minutes on the ground in Los Angeles. So we we ended up landing, I think, 35 minutes behind schedule. And, you know, the gate agent's like, oh, we, we thought you, like, had a mechanical and had to go back to the gate because, you know, we saw you were off, but... You, you know, you didn't, you didn't take off for like 45 minutes after you were off the gate. And, and so, you know, I, I was doing the walk around and the station manager was down there asking me, you know, what's going on? What happened? And I kind of gave him a little bit. Yeah. He's, he was talking to the passengers, you know, and she, Oh, I, I heard of this guy. So this, this, this captain was famous at the time, uh, about these long PAs, you know? And so there are guys out there that do this. Okay, and and it's not just captains. You know, you get flight attendants alike that they get. They like to to give the history of wherever we're going to the passengers. And you know, I always thought that you know, in this day and age, with technology being what it is, everyone has a handheld device 
they've got their Bluetooth speakers in or their headphones in and, you know, they just, they want their noise counseling and they just want to watch their movie or listen to their iPod, uh, or uh, their podcast, you know? Um, so I dated myself there for a bit, <laughs> iPod. Uh, so they're listening to their, their, their podcast and they're listening to their tunes or they're watching their, their show that they're binge watching or downloaded or whatever, or they're surfing the net, whatever they're doing. And really, I personally think that the last thing they want to hear is, you know, these long, you know, speeches about, hey, if you look off the left-hand side of the airplane, you can see the Grand Canyon. I mean, really? I mean, no. Who has a window shade up anymore? They're all, they're always down because they're on their electronic devices. They're plugged into the matrix. They're watching their show or they're whatever they're doing. Okay. And now that's not to say that there's still the beauty of looking out the window. That's perfectly fine. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that passengers shouldn't be looking out the window. What I am saying is that the majority of the passengers in the U.S. today are plugging themselves in. They don't want to talk to anybody. They've got their, their noise-canceling headphones on. They just want to tune out. You know, they're in close proximity to strangers. They don't want to have a conversation. It's a little unfortunate because I'm, I'm a talker, as obviously my listeners know. Uh, but it, 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 that's the way it is. And so to have a captain or flight attendant make a PA that is just unnecessary, uh, personally, my opinion, and I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of feedback on this, but personally, I think it's overdone. Uh, it, it's a different time. You know, make your PAs, give them the information they need. If you're delayed, for, for Christ's sake, tell them, you know, every 5, 10, 15 minutes, tell them what's going on. You know, sometimes it is completely out of our hands, and that is actually a great topic for another show. You know, what's going on in delay? What's the information? How much control do we actually have versus, you know, what's, what's actually happening? So, but long PAs, do you like them? Do you not like them? Let me know. Send me some feedback. I can tell you right now, at the end of that flight, even though we were delayed going into Santa Barbara, at least four passengers came up, shook the captain's hand, who, by the way, would stand right there at the exit door to shake hands and say thank you for flying with us to every single passenger, which I thought was kind of cool. Okay? But... I can tell you, at least four passengers. Oh, Captain, that was the best flight I ever had. It was like a history lesson, and you know I love it. I wish all my flights were that way. You know that doesn't mean that the other forty-five passengers or forty-six passengers thought that it was annoying, but you know it, four people gave him what he wanted to hear, which is recognition that he did a great job with his PA. So let me know what you think. Send me feedback, either on the website or on Spotify. Um, you can send feedback uh, on a lot of the platforms that you might be listening to this podcast right now. So I'd love to hear from you. Or send me an email directly at aviatortony at gmail.com. not all PAs are necessarily bad 
because they're long. There was a time, and this again, a story from, from aviation past, where we were taxiing out. And we got in the long conga line for takeoff. And we were looking at our min takeoff fuel. And for those of you who don't know, min takeoff fuel on a flight is the minimum fuel you can have when you start your takeoff roll to have enough fuel to get to your destination, to have your required reserves, and if required, to have the fuel to get to an alternate airport in the event that you can't make it into your first airport. So min takeoff fuel, absolutely minimum you have to have. If you don't have it, you can't take off. FAA violation potentially if you take off with less than min takeoff fuel, less than planned min takeoff fuel. So, you know, here the situation was, it was supposed to be like a 10-minute taxi, turned out to be like a 40-minute taxi. So no big deal most of the time. You would just send a message to your dispatcher, they look at the numbers, and they go, okay, well, let's update some wins, or, you know, let's take a look at how much extra you have. A lot of times there's extra fuel in there that's not calculated in there, and we can move that around. And that way you can take off, uh, we'll just recalculate your min takeoff fuel and see if it works. And if it works, they can move that number uh, because there's always a little bit of buffer, okay? So, but the initial number is the initial number. And in this particular situation, we could not get a hold of the dispatcher. He wasn't responding to our messages via the, the flight management computer. And so through ACARS. So he wasn't responding. So the captain even said, okay, you know what, aircraft has stopped, we're in a long line, I'm going to call him. So he calls him. He answered, and he said, hold on, I'll write back to you. And he never came back. Like five minutes went by, he never came back. So, you know, by this point, we're now, like, number one, ready for departure. And, and the tower says, you know, uh, regional airlines, uh, line up a wait on runway 25. And the captain's like, well, unable, uh, we need to go back to the gate uh, because we've gone below min takeoff fuel and we need to go get more fuel so they give us a clearance of all right well turn on to the runway taxi down to the next taxiway exit the runway and uh, contact ground so we do and you know as we're taxiing back to the gate he felt it necessarily as it is to make a passenger pa and he says to the passengers well ladies and gentlemen you know we were all set to go but uh, we didn't have the min takeoff fuel that we needed uh, we tried to contact our dispatcher. Uh, he could have easily have moved some numbers around because we have some extra fuel that he could have uh, moved those numbers around. But because he's not answering my phone calls in typical uh, regional airline fashion, to use the name of the company, uh, you know, this this is typical. We're going to have to go back to the gate now and get more fuel. So, you know, we, we taxi to the gate. And as we get to the gate, there's the chief pilot on the jet bridge. And he goes, oh what's he doing here? So I open the door, open the cockpit door, Chief Pilot sticks his head in his office. He says, what the hell did you say on your PA? And we both like, wait, what? How, how do you know what he said on the PA? He goes, you've got two VPs from the company in the back. One of them's a maintenance guy and the other is a dispatch manager. And they want me to pull you off this flight. And, and, and the captain says, wait a minute. He goes, I said this, this, and this verbatim. And I didn't say anything wrong. It was the truth. Tell me it's not the truth. Tell me how many people have not, you know, come to you with the frustration about this very same thing happening. And it, it was true. Uh, 
there was a time where uh, there was a little bit of overwhelmed uh, fuel management situations where uh, dispatchers were were getting busy. But this particular dispatcher uh, had a reputation of not answering the phone or putting people on hold for a long period of time for whatever reason. And uh, other dispatchers were a lot better about it, but he was particular uh, in that he would put people on hold. And so uh, the, the chief pilot goes, yeah, you know, I, I agree with you. Okay, but if anybody asks, you know, I, I read you the riot act and you're going to come talk to me afterwards. But he goes, just, you know, go easy on the PAs. So, you know, this day and age, cell phones, uh, people recording this stuff, putting it on, posting it on social media, which please people don't, don't do that. I mean, you know, it, this job is hard enough, you know, that you, you're trying to fly a plane. You've got all these elements constantly looking over your shoulder to keep make sure that you're you're doing everything right and by the book, which is great. You know, SOPs. I, I'm all for it. But you know, then you get on social media and you you hear some off the beaten path PA or or some event that was handled maybe not so good, and of course you know the world now knows about it. So I'm not going to comment further on that because I've got I'm obviously biased, but uh, I have my opinions. Let's just say that. And so this PA was made, and within 10 minutes, the chief pilot was on the jet bridge to talk to the captain. So you got to really be careful what you say on your PAs. For all of those of you listening out there that are captains or getting ready to upgrade to captain, you know, learn from those before you, those that you flew with, uh, and just be careful. Keep it positive, uh, keep it professional, and keep your PAs just to the minimum don't go and sit there and talk for an hour about this and that like i'm going on with this (laughs) this topic so let's move on let's talk now about our next segment this is from the flight line Now, on this show, I thought I'd talk a little bit about what is involved with a Trans-Pacific Crossing. You have to be internationally called in order to do it because there are procedures and radio communications that are not what you would normally do on a domestic flight. And let's get started on how it all gets put together. So about an hour to an hour and a half prior to departure, a flight plan can be downloaded onto the EFB, or electronic flight bag. From there, we look at all the parameters that are involved, the flight plan, uh, how much fuel we're going to require, if there are any MELs on this aircraft, the minimum equipment list items are items that um, might not be operating and are deferred that are not necessarily um, needed for the flight, and they're going to repair it at a later time. So uh, how many MELs do we have, if any, uh, and the aircraft is an extended overwater aircraft, a.k.a. ETOPS aircraft. So prior to every departure, going over an ETOPS route, maintenance has to do their check of the aircraft, put that in the logbook that the ETOPS check was complete. So, you know, there's items that we have to look at. There's items uh, that maintenance has to do and inspections that need to be done both in the cabin and on the exterior of the aircraft. So once all that's completed, then we get additional paperwork from our operations. Uh, We have a form that we need to fill out 
basically logging all of our waypoints. Kind of old school chart, point to point information. Now, most of the time we're on a track, a track, a alpha track, Bravo track, Delta track. And these tracks are charted routes over the Pacific Ocean that take you into the Hawaii area. And we have to make sure we have the most current charts available and in the flight deck at all times. Plus, we have a reference guide that we use to make sure that it's an additional checklist that we we're making sure that we did everything uh, and checking all the boxes off. Everything from downloading flight plans to crew lists uh, to forms to log our waypoints and times. And because there are no ground-based uh, communications available, uh, what we do, there's some aircraft that use a SATCOM procedures, uh, aka CPDLCs. We're not going to really get into that on this show, uh, but we use uh, high-frequency radio communications with uh, San Francisco Radio. And uh, for those uh, aviators out there that are learning and getting their instrument ratings and private ratings and whatnot, uh, you'll know that there are VHF frequencies that we use to communicate with ATC. And over the water, those VHF frequencies uh, don't really work because, again, no ground-based radio communications are available. So we use high-frequency radio communications. Picture a fancy ham radio where you're kind of listening to a bunch of static and you're and you're talking over uh, kind of a staticky radio frequency and you're communicating uh, because it's not straight line distance the curvature of the earth is kind of communicating on a radio wave that follows the earth or a very high frequency uh, radio wave so we are not in constant contact when we are over the water so uh, as we leave Los Angeles airport we you know depart with ATC, and once we get to altitude prior to entering what's referred to as ETOPS airspace, we'll get a handoff, uh, we'll squawk a 2000 code, and we'll just uh, keep going on our route at a constant speed, uh, as filed with the flight plan is crucial, constantly checking things like, uh, you know, fuel, fuel burn, is it uh, as calculated and whatnot, because here's the situation. You're, getting, you're going across the water, and at some point, you're going to be at the point of no return, uh, which is referred to as an ETOPS equal time point. At that point, it's a go-no-go. No go. So if you have a malfunction prior to reaching this equal time point, you're going to turn around, and you're going to go to the closest airport that's authorized for an ETOPS flight. In our situation, 9 out of 10, it's going to be either San Francisco or Los Angeles, mostly San Francisco. Uh, Once you pass that point of no return, now you really don't have enough fuel to make it back. So you're forced to go forward. And your alternate airport there is going to be the closest Hawaiian airport that you can land at. Hilo is usually our ETP uh, alternate airport for our destination. Uh, or Honolulu, which is the biggest, um, best facility because it has the most uh, uh, runway facilities and, and emergency vehicles. So, But that's the situation with the equal time point. So all these calculations have to be uh, reviewed in our flight plan. And there are a variety of other checks that are required prior to pushing off the gate. 
and make sure that the systems on the aircraft are functioning normally and we are ready to go. We also need to contact the San Francisco radio facility, uh, which is the facility that we will be communicating with while we are over the water. And we need to verify frequencies that are in use and the identification of our cell call uh, ID. Each aircraft has a cell call ID. So uh, we give them this information, and usually it's uh, via a phone call uh, on the ground in Los Angeles via a frequency. So these are some of the, the procedures that are involved in uh, a trans-Pacific crossing prior to pushing off the gate. So we did all these things. And uh, as we were taxiing out to get, take the runway, uh, we started looking at weights and performance uh, as we have to do on every flight. Uh, the crossing yesterday was actually very uneventful. We did have quite the busy cockpit because the Honolulu flight was full and we had a couple jump seaters. So as I mentioned in an earlier episode, a jump seater is a pilot who uh, is an airline pilot in the system that is trying to get a ride. And if all the seats are uh, booked, then they have the option, as long as they uh, pass through the whole security system that we use, which I won't get into, um, but once they pass all that, then they're authorized to ride in the extra seats in the cockpit, the jump seats. That's why sometimes when you're walking onto the aircraft, you look up front, and there's not two pilots, but three or four pilots. And you're like, well, wait a minute, how many pilots do we need? Uh, I can't tell you how many times we hear that cliche. So, but no big deal. We, we get in there, and we get up to altitude. And once we're cruising along, there's always time to tell stories and whatnot and keep the conversation going to keep us uh, alert and entertained while we're crossing over for five hours. Uh, so it actually makes the time go by pretty fast, especially if you have a relatively decent uh, crew up there. Uh, it, it actually is quite a, a nice experience to go across with people in the jump seat. So let's talk about this radio communication. Okay, so you're, you're about 30 minutes into the flight. You've reached your cruising altitude, uh, whatever that may be. In our case, last night it was at 32,000 feet. The weather was good. We had all the, the weather information downloaded prior to departure, and everything was good. We were anticipating a smooth ride all the way across with no weather, and which makes these kind of crossings uh, very easy or very uneventful, which is good uneventful is good. So we get up there and we get the handoff to enter ETOPS airspace. And then we're required to communicate with the radio frequency uh, that San Francisco Radio gave us. And when we call them, it is very um, clear, slow communication. And you say exactly what is on the form. No ab lib, no extra communications there because these uh, communications are going again on a, on a high frequency across a long distance and like I said earlier the ham radio effect where there's a lot of kind of background noise and static so it's kind of hard to hear so you got to talk very deliberately and we tell them who we are where we are what time we crossed that fix that required reporting point 
Okay, what flight level we are, if we're at a particular flight level, or if previously we requested a block altitude. Sometimes uh, during the Pacific crossing, a lot of aircraft uh, request a block altitude, 32 to 34,000 feet, somewhere there, therein. And so that way, if it gets a little bumpy at, say, 32, you have the option in the block to climb up 500 feet, 1,000 feet, whatever you want to do. Uh, we didn't do that last night. We didn't feel the need for it. And sure enough, it was relatively smooth the whole way. Then you give them uh, the next waypoint and the time you anticipate crossing that waypoint. So if you are going to be within a three-minute window when you're going to cross that next waypoint, no big deal. You just call them up, tell them once you get to that waypoint. But if you're going to be outside of that three-minute window, you have to call them and you have to tell them, hey, you know, our winds are stronger or whatever reason. Uh, so we have to update our time crossing that fix. So you have to be within this very tight window as you're navigating across uh, the ocean. And then you give them uh, the fix after that. So there's three fixes involved. You tell them how much fuel you have, the winds aloft, and the temperature and any other detail. So you're doing these reporting points about once an hour. And we have all kinds of procedures and, and techniques that we pilots use to ensure that we're crossing those fixes at those times and we have reminders for ourselves to make sure we don't forget because if you forget to call that's a big deal okay so um, because you're not on a radar contact at all so you cross over and you're making these required position reports and ETAs to the next position and finally when you get uh, usually within about an hour of your destination, whatever island that may be, then they're going to tell you, okay, well, when you get about two minutes prior to your next fix, contact the Hawaii Air Traffic Controller on this frequency. And, you know, at that point, you'll be under their radar contact. And so the procedure is uh, very specific. And it, there's a little bit more involved, obviously, on this type of flying. Than there is on domestic flying because you're not under radar contact you have to do uh, reports in your position and navigation positions uh, with ETAs uh, and you can't miss those because if you miss one or make a big error it's a big deal uh, they, they call that gross navigation error and it's comparable to hearing the dreaded advise when ready to copy phone number from ATC you never want to hear that if you do I'll tell you right now just Make the call, be professional. It's not a big deal. It's not an end of the world. Um, and it happens. So don't let those kind of things stress you out too much uh, when they happen. But the whole point is to constantly be a little bit ahead of the airplane so that you don't get in a situation where ATC gives you a phone number or they tell you you have a gross navigation error. So for the past two years, I've been doing these Hawaii crossings. Uh, luckily, I have not had any kind of major events, uh, at least not with the aircraft, uh, my crew, or anything to do with uh, a major malfunction of the aircraft. However, I can tell you that I have had some events that have caused a potential diversion, and we'll talk about that in the next segment. There we were. 
I love a good aviation story. And I've found that in the past, whenever telling a good joke or a good story, it's always best received if it's told in the first person. With that said, the following stories may or may not have occurred in the manner in which I tell them. They may or may not have occurred to myself or to the people that I know. Here is There We Were. There We Were. Flying along, flying along, crossing the Pacific Ocean, headed to the beautiful paradise islands of Hawaii. And somewhere about two hours and 30 minutes into the flight, just about at our equal time point or halfway there. The captain decides we should probably take a bathroom break. It's been a while. So we set that up. And wouldn't you know it, as is required by the FAA and our company procedures, when one pilot leaves the cockpit or their station for any period of time above 27,000 feet, the other pilot must don their oxygen mask. So, the captain reaches in and pulls his oxygen mask from the oxygen mask box. And as he pulls it out, the hose that connects the oxygen mask suddenly disconnects from the mask itself. And it is sitting there like a fire hose going back and forth in his lap with oxygen coming out, pressurized oxygen coming out. And I say to my captain, oh, just, you know, close the flapper, depressure, just close the flap, just shut the lid on the oxygen box. And he's sitting there kind of dazed thinking about it. And he grabs the oxygen hose and the mask and he starts to slowly put them together because he thinks if he could just get that hose back on the mask, it'll stop. And he does it and I'm sitting there just kind of stunned because you know we need that oxygen and all he had to do was close the flapper door and that would have depressurized the the line and we could have dealt with the situation but it took him uh 10-15 seconds to to kind of go through it in his mind and and as he did this the oxygen seemed to to stop leaking from the hose so I immediately checked the oxygen levels, and they were fine. They went down a little bit, but they were fine. They were still well beyond the minimum we needed. And now I can hear him reasoning this in his mind, saying, well, let's see, if I need the oxygen mask for depressurization, I don't think this mask is, is going to hold I could use the observer mask, but that doesn't have a microphone in that one. And so he's he's reasoning to himself all these, you know, the scenario. And I say to him, listen, if you don't mind me saying it, why don't we stow that mask so that there is no loss of pressure? Because it could still be leaking a little bit. I mean, it came off on you once. You know, what's what's to say it's not going to come off on you again. So let's let's stow that mask if you don't mind. And for the purpose of using the restroom, let's just use the other mask that you have on your side because there's always two masks uh, on an Airbus, two on the captain's side, two on the first officer's side. And 
I said, and then, you know, let's do this exchange and then we can figure out what we're going to do next. And he, okay, he agreed. So we did the exchange, you know, we, we each took turns going to the restroom there, the lav in the, in the first class area. And when he came back, he starts thinking about it and he says, well, I better send a message to maintenance and let them know that, you know, this mask is clearly uh, not working because that way they can prepare where we were going. At the time, we were going to Lahui, uh, which is uh, on Kauai. And it's a smaller airport. Uh, it's not a maintenance base or anything. We do have maintenance there. but um, So, you know, he decides we, we need to tell him because we don't want to delay the flight going back for hours or even a day while they're having to repair this. If we can give them two hours a heads up, they can have the mask either, you know, pulled out of inventory or brought in from another island so that uh, the maintenance there can repair it during the turn time. I thought, well, how, how are we going to do that? We, we don't have communications with uh, the company through frequencies, the normal channels. And he says, oh, we'll, we'll have a patch done through San Francisco radio. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. So... Very, very uh, cool technique. He contacted the San Francisco radio, got a discrete frequency, and then asked for a patch to the Legacy Airlines dispatcher desk, which they were able to do a foam patch, kind of like a ship-to-shore foam patch. It's the same thing in this scenario. So we did the foam patch, and uh, we got a hold of our dispatcher. He relayed the information, and we continued on uh, as scheduled. And when we landed in Lahui, sure enough, maintenance was there on the jet bridge waiting for us with a spare mask and host set to replace. It's a quick disconnect situation where they just pull the plug and pull the, uh, the uh, oxygen line on this uh, mask and they just swap it out for a good one. So no delay for the outbound crew. The mask was repaired upon landing. All this happened after our ETP, so we would have continued anyway. We had no loss of oxygen. The whole scenario turned out uh, relatively positive, and it was a great learning experience for me because though I knew of the uh, foam patch availability, I never even would have thought to get like a, a discrete frequency or anything like that. So it was a great learning experience. Though having an oxygen mask issue over the Pacific can be a little stressful, the situation we had was very much a non-event. But other things can happen, too. I can remember a time, not too long ago, where we were about two hours into the flight at night, a red-eye from one of the Hawaiian islands back to Los Angeles. And we were cruising along, chit-chatting amongst each other, monitoring the systems of the aircraft, as usual. And suddenly we had a notification from the cabin. Our first-class purser, which is the, the flight attendant in the first class, the lead, calls us up and says, Captain, uh, we got a problem back here. Uh, we have a passenger who's a big guy, and he's, he seems to be very much intoxicated. We've, we've cut him off. We only ended up serving him two drinks throughout the flight so far over the past two hours. But clearly, he must have been... Uh, intoxicated when he came on because uh, you know we didn't notice that and he's now 
a little bit belligerent. And my captain says, well, okay, um, what, what should we do? What do you want to, to do here? Because you know, clearly I, I cannot assess the situation. I have to go with what you're telling me. He goes, well, you know, I just want to let you know that it's an ongoing situation um, and we're going to try to calm him down and talk to him. And we may have to issue him like a, a written warning that if he doesn't, you know, cease his actions or his his um, behavior, then you know we're gonna we're gonna take action. And the captain says, "Well, you know what uh, what's he doing that that is causing him to uh, you know be considered belligerent?" And he says, "Well, he goes, you know, he's." We cut him off, and he's saying, you know, I paid extra money for this ticket so I can sit up here and drink, and, and you know, this is BS, and, and he just wasn't having it. And so he started uh, asking the people around him to buy him alcohol, which is a no-no. When, if you're cut off, you're cut off. And so the flight attendant, you know, told him, hey, no, uh, being around, like, looking to see what's going on. He's not getting out of his seat or anything, but he's, he's completely stopped, you know, trying to get alcohol. And uh, I'm like, oh, geez, okay, this this is great. So the purser says, you know what, Captain, I'll, I'll call you back. I'm going to go help him out and see what we can do. So fine, he hangs up, and not a minute or two goes by, and uh, the purser calls up again and says, uh, you know, Captain, this is a couple. They're traveling together. He purchased a upgraded seat because he wanted to drink. He wanted the party to continue, obviously. And so, you know, he got, uh, got upset because they cut him off. And, you know, he didn't know, but you know, his girlfriend's back there and they cut her off. Turns out that her father is on the flight. And the captain goes, oh, well, you know, she must be relatively young. She's like, yeah, probably in her 20s. And I says, well, can you, you know, have the father come to the phone? So the father comes on to the phone through the, through the intercom system. And he says, Captain, I'm really, really sorry, uh, but I, my daughter has a drinking problem. I, I just can't control her. I, you know, she's an adult. Uh, do what you have to do. Uh, you know, she needs to learn her lesson, and I really apologize for, for this. You know? and so the captain says, well, okay, I understand. I appreciate that. So, you know, conference call over. The captain decides, you know what, I'm going to make a PA. Okay, so, oh, great, that's wonderful. So he makes a PA, and he says something to the effect of, ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. I understand there are some passengers creating quite a disturbance in the cabin this evening, and I do apologize to all of the other passengers for the inconvenience. And because of this disturbance, we will be turning the seatbelt sign on, the seatbelt sign will remain on for the duration of the flight. I do apologize. Please limit uh, getting up out of your seat to only if you absolutely have to. Furthermore, if there are any further disturbances within this flight, and rather than continuing on to Los Angeles, we will be forced to divert this aircraft to San Francisco, where the authorities will meet the aircraft, and all parties involved will be dealt with with the proper authorities. I do apologize to all my passengers back there. We hope that you have a good remainder of the flight. So I just was kind of shocked, and I thought, wow, that was very direct. That was kind of stern, and, but very professionally done. And the 
the flight attendants called back through the intercom and said, Captain, that was wonderful. Everyone's, everyone put on their seatbelt and, and they're all sitting upright because, you know, clearly this created enough of a disturbance that really everybody on the airplane uh, was, was witness to this. I mean, at one point, this lady in the back was laying down on the floor in the galley, pre- preventing the flight attendants from doing their duties. And, you know, she was just behaving badly and, and swearing and using cuss words and all these things. And it's like, wow, you know, okay, well, if you have any more issue uh, at all, just give me a call and we'll, we'll just handle it. We'll just divert. And, uh, you know, the, the flight continued and it didn't hear a word. So we continued on to Los Angeles. And when we landed, uh, the authorities were there because we had told them what had happened uh, so that they were prepared and uh, the captain, again, made a PA, which some of you uh, people have, have been flying for a while may have heard this before, unfortunately, which is, ladies and gentlemen, we're reaching the gate and the seatbelt sign will remain on. Please remain in your seats with your seatbelts fastened until the authorities come on board. They handle the situation. Once they give us the all clear, I'll turn off the seatbelt sign. And that's your indication that it is safe to get up. So not, no longer or no sooner did... So no sooner did the Jeppridge get attached to the aircraft and we hear a knock on the cockpit door and it was the Los Angeles airport police. So we opened the door and I said, all clear, captain. And the captain said, really? That, that quickly? And uh, he said, well, I've never seen anything like it, sir. He goes, well, both, uh, both parties that were involved were walking down the aisle with their hands over their head. By the time we got on the aircraft, they've been detained, and uh, you're, all, you're all clear. And the, the police officer said, uh, you know, I've never seen anything like it. Uh, clearly, this is not their first rodeo. So, you know, here we are at 37,000 feet, crossing over the Pacific Ocean at our halfway point, and these events occurred. And, you know, this is not a major event. It's just a disturbance. It happens. But, man, you know, where do you go? You can't just put the airplane down uh, at an airport and let the authorities, you know, handle whatever disturbance or situation there is. You've you got to make a decision. What are we going to do? Are we going to divert, go to our, you know, one destination, or are we going to continue on to this? Either way, you're on the airplane for a while. So, you know, that situation was handled I think very professionally. And, uh, you know, it, I learned a little bit also on um, how to handle that kind of thing from the captain I was flying with. So all in all, it, it ended up being a positive experience. Reports were written and, uh, and filed, and nothing else came of it. So uh, all in all, uh, turned out to be okay. So these events really were not major events, okay? Uh, obviously, you know, everything was handled uh, within our procedures and, you know, just more of a tale to tale. And with that said, you know, there are events that happen and they happen to us aviators uh, with some frequency. 
that they just make all the hair on the back of your neck stand up. They give you the chicken skin, the goosebumps, and you, for a split moment, the adrenaline starts to pump and you really start to concentrate on your training. You start to remember all that was involved up to this point with either your aircraft, your procedures, and everything you've learned, and you're, and you're now super focused. And that's why flying can actually be very tiring for pilots, and that's why it's extremely important for rest uh, to be had. Quiet, cool rest on the overnights, because you know we're always at that heightened sense of awareness and alertness. Because you know, you're driving along, and something happens. Uh, as you got on the new opener, uh, I was able to find uh, some of the aircraft sounds and alerts from different aircraft, different fleet types. And those are all things that can happen at any given time. And your first reaction is always going to be, holy crap, you know, what, what, the, what the hell is this? Uh, and so you're on this particular sense of alertness when you're flying an airplane. Those who let their guard down a little bit, and we all go through those those times where we're just kind of relaxed and not thinking about much because we can fly the plane, you know, no big deal. But all of a sudden these kind of things happen and we get the, some kind of alert or a master caution, master warning, and we have to think about it for a second. And, and then all that training has to come back to where we act deliberately, specifically, and exactly as our training has taught us to act. So, you know, what are these situations? Well, uh, had a situation not long ago, again, over the Pacific, crossing into California. And a little more than halfway there, and Captain and I are, are sitting there, I think we we're finishing up our crew meals, chit-chatting, monitoring systems, the works. And all of a sudden we get a master warning, lav smoke. This is a big deal. Ladies and gentlemen, big deal. That is an indication of a potential fire in the aircraft. Not something you ever want to hear. And not something you ever want to hear when you're two hours out to the nearest airport over an ocean. So immediately, you know, we both look at each other for a second. There's a disbelief. Like, oh my God, is this, is this really happening? And then, okay, let's go through our procedures. And so... We start making these mandatory call-outs at the same time, you know, we're, we're, we're doing these mandatory call-outs and we're calling the flight attendants. And uh, the, the number two, I think, picked up in the mid-galley and, and said, yeah, yep, yep, we, we see it, we see it. Uh, I think there's somebody smoking in the bathroom. Stand by. Hold on. So, you know, we're, we're of course, adrenaline's pumping. We're like, oh, man, you know, if this is a real fire, this is going to be a big deal. And sure enough, she calls back immediately and says, no, nope, no, nope, it's false alarm. There's a guy vaping in the bathroom. And the captain's like, what? And, and you know, I was like, doesn't he know? He can't, he can't, that's a, that is a, a major crime right there. You can't do that. We, this is all these alarms went off up here and it scared the hell out of us, you know? And, and flight attendant goes, I'm going to talk to him. I'll, I'll call you right back. So a couple minutes go by and, and, you know, we go through our procedures, everything all clear. Okay. Yeah, fine. So, you know, now we're, we're wide awake, way alert, you know, just eyes big, like talking about, oh shit, you know, if that was a real fire, you know, yeah, you, we'd have to have done this and this and this. And that's usually what aviators will do while they're in the cockpit. They, they'll talk about what 
if it was a real event or if this progressed further from this point, what would we have done? It's always kind of a learning situation because the next time it happens, you don't want that lag time of holy crap, what's happening. You want to narrow that gap. So, you know, we were talking a little bit about this and a flight attendant calls back and says, oh yeah, okay. I talked to the guy. He apologized. He was very apathetic and he said uh, he didn't know that uh, using an electronic cigarette or vaping was considered smoking. He didn't know. He knows that you can't smoke a cigarette or, you know, because there's fire on there, right? But he didn't know that vaping is, is, is illegal, not right. And the captain's like, well, you know, did he not listen to the, the boarding announcement and all the safety videos? And it says in there, no, no smoking, no vaping, you know, and no e-cigarettes, you know, he goes, well, you know, yeah, I told him that. And, you know, he thought, well, e-cigarettes are different than vaping. And, you know, he's, he apologized. And the cap was like, well, okay. You know, so this guy ended up, you know, since his attitude was so good and, and the flight attendants relayed that, you know, like he was very sorry. He, he just wasn't thinking, he didn't know. And so nothing happened in that situation. And, you know, we talked about it a little bit. We're like, yeah, okay. You know, if the guy had a bad attitude, I would have been insistent that, you know, yeah, we, we need to let the authorities know and document this and all that stuff. So, um, but it, it was a non-event, really, but can you imagine? You're sitting there, you got a meal in front of you, you're just finishing your crew meal, and and all of a sudden you're, you're chit-chatting, all of a sudden you hear, ding, 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 and you get loud smoke, and you're like, oh, crap, you know? So, yeah, you know, all the hair on the back of your neck stands up in those situations. But it's not always like that, you know? Uh, there are other events that can happen, not just in the airplane, uh, but but just around the airport. But we'll save the next story for another time. Now, I wanted to mention another story, another tale that kind of goes with radio communications. And there are a lot of aviators out there that are just absolutely professional and you know it's just a pleasure to hear them on the radio and and just like yep that's how it's done good job and there are others that kind of just make you cringe pet peeves let's just call them and it's, it reminds me of a story flying into chicago late at night and for whatever reason there was some thunderstorm activity in the area and after we landed uh, the gate was occupied for those of you who have flown in and out of the Chicago O'Hare Airport, know this oh too well. So the uh, ground controller uh, instructed us to taxi over to a holding pad, uh, sometimes referred to as a penalty box, sometimes referred to as a, a holding pad. So we're in this pad, and we're flying uh, a 321 model, an Airbus 321 Next to us was a 737. On the other side of that was an Airbus 319. And then further on down the road, there was a Boeing 787. Beautiful airplane. So we're all sitting there a good 20 minutes. And one by one, the aircraft start calling the ground controller saying, okay, uh, operations have called us. They said our gates open. We can start heading over. And one by one, the ground controller was giving clearances to these aircraft that were with us in this holding pad. 
And so first off was the Airbus 319. And uh, they told ground, yep, uh, our gate is uh, currently open. Uh, we're clear to taxi to gate. Understood, uh, clear to taxi, taxi via so-and-so. The next one to call immediately was the 737. And say, oh, Legacy Airlines, uh, you're uh, clear to taxi, uh, follow the company. Roger that. Follow company. And uh, next was us. We were uh, given a, a good gate, so I had called up the uh, the ground controller and said, uh, yeah, Legacy Airlines, uh, uh, our gate's open too. Uh, uh, we're, we're ready to go. And so they said, okay, follow company. Cleared to the gate. And Next up was this uh, Boeing 787. And the first officer calls up, which on the ground, it's always the first officer talking on the radio. And he calls up and he says, oh, yeah, O'Hare Ground, this is a uh, legacy uh, so-and-so. And our gate's uh, also open. And they go, all right, follow company. And he says, roger that. We'll follow the little guys. And we just stopped and looked at each other and laughed and went, is this guy freaking serious are, are you shitting me right now is this guy did, did he just call us the little guys we're freaking a 170 pound 170,000 pound airplane you know uh, really i mean i don't know we're a narrow body considered a narrow body but really and so yeah whatever he's on the seven eight he's the big guy right okay fine so you know whatever we're taxiing and as we're taxiing you know all right contact this other ground controller because now we're in their area and so we contact this other ground controller and uh and uh yeah, yeah we're uh, we're behind the uh, company we're taxiing to this gate and it's okay follow them you're clear to contact ramp control fine and the seven eight checks in behind us and says uh chicago ground this is legacy uh so-and-so we're uh behind the little guys <laughs> again we just we just started laughing at this point it's to the point of annoyance I'm like what who that you know this guy is he wasn't born on a freaking seven eight okay he was he learned how to fly probably like a cub or something and and you know moved on up to airplanes like a Fokker and then you know maybe a, a 707 and and, and but he's an fo maybe he didn't even he's maybe not even been around that long you know maybe he's started on a an md80 and he worked his way up so just to hear that arrogance you know over the radio if you're one of those guys hey man i'm sorry but we know you fly a really nice big airplane a heavy okay you don't need to constantly remind that we're the little guys. We're not the little guys. We're a big airplane, you know? So, yeah. Radio etiquette. Let's segue into that. Let's talk about the junior aviator. So what is a junior aviator? Years ago, okay, correction, over a decade ago, here I am flying a jet for regional airlines based in LA. And I was new to the base. They had just opened up this jet base. Before then, it was all Saab flying. And uh, so they expanded the regional terminal. They moved it in LA somewhere around 2000, I think it was 11. And... 
So they opened up a jet base there, and I transferred there, which was great for me because I'm a Southern California boy. And um, so I'm flying with this guy, and you know I've never flown with him before because it's my first month at the base, and I'm flying with him all month long. And he's a real, real cool guy. You know, lives in Southern California as well, and and uh, you know we we got along pretty good. He had a little bit of a sarcastic streak, so I knew it was going to be fine. And uh, about four or five days together and he started saying junior aviator and i just i looked at him like uh okay because i'm young maybe i I don't know you know and you know next time i checked in with atc i talked on radio he goes junior aviator i said what what are you talking about man what 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 are you saying he goes oh man uh you know don't take offense to this but you know, you got a pretty good radio voice, uh, you know, talking on the radio. You, you know, you don't stutter and you don't say um and ah. But at the end of every radio transition, you're saying things like checking in or see ya or, or with you. And I'm like, yeah, what's, what's wrong with that? He goes, well, you know, you want to be as professional as possible, right? Because at the end of the day, you, you want to move up, you want to move forward, you want to you want to set an example, right? Because eventually you're going to be a captain, and you're going to move to a main line, you're going to move to a legacy carrier, and you know you want to talk on the radio professionally. You don't want people to kind of scoff at you. They're, and they're not going to tell you. They're not going to tell you, you know, junior aviator. You know, they're, they're not going to use those things. He goes, listen, don't get offended. He goes, when I was your age and a young FO flying a, a shorts or ATR or whatever he said he was flying, uh, he goes, I, I was doing the same thing. You know, see ya, with ya, all that stuff. And I flew with a captain who looked at me and said, junior aviator. And I, of course, queried him and, and he explained everything to me. And at first I was a little offended and I thought, well, you know, what do you know, you know? But the minute he said that, it triggered something in my mind. And from that point on, every time I made a radio transmission, I would catch myself. And every time I said, one of these extra things that are not part of the, the aeronautical information manual, the AIM. This is where we have uh, all the information on you know, airport diagrams and speech and, and, and phraseology. Okay? So he said, you know, th- that stuff's not in the AIM. You show me where it says that you can say, I mean, you say good morning and you say have a good day or see you is I mean, just not very professional. You know, a good day is fine. But you don't need to tell them you're checking in. You're checking in. You're talking. So you don't have to say, oh, I'm checking in. Well, of course you are. It's, it's redundant. Okay. And he goes, you do what you want. I, I'm not, I'm trying not to uh, be too critical of you, but you know, you're a good guy and I, I'm just trying to help you out. So of course, you know, I, I took a moment and I kind of, I was a little hurt. You know, I was like, eh, you're being a little picky, I think. And, uh, but of course I start catching myself immediately. And I get pissed. I say, oh. and I'd say, oh, you know, uh, uh, Albuquerque Center. This is, uh, you know, regional uh, one, two, three, and we're chicken. Oh, I mean, uh, 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 flight level uh, two seven zero. And so, b- by the end of the next trip, another two or three days of flying with him, and I didn't say that anymore. I wasn't using all this extra language. And he says, see, it only took you about three days. He goes, and now when you you're, you know. Uh, making a new radio call with a new controller you're not using all that extra language and you get in a place like chicago or or uh, new york 
uh, or even Southern California, they don't have time for all that extra stuff. I mean, maybe when you're over the, the middle of the country and there's not much going on, uh, maybe you can have a little bit of an extra chit-chat. He goes, but it's just so much more professional. And trust me, you're going to thank me. And someday you are in turn are going to be a captain and you're going to fly with some FO who's, who's younger and who's using all this extra language. And, and you'll probably mention it to them and, and you'll say junior aviator and you'll just, you'll smile and you'll tell them the story. And maybe the next guy, he goes, you don't have to do that. You know, just teach their own. I'm, I'm just trying to help you out. And at the end of the, the month together, I, I thanked him. I said, you know, I didn't realize I was doing that, and I've been doing that for years. Uh, you know, just all this extra chit-chat and, you know, flying in and out of New York and Chicago. You're right. There doesn't need to be all that chit-chat. So, lesson learned. Uh, you know, give me your comments. Uh, I'm sure I'm going to have people commenting on my uh, the social media platform for a Squawk Ident podcast, which, by the way, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, currently the uh, two platforms that I prefer to use, uh, not on any of the others right now, but uh, just look up Squawk Ident Podcast and, uh, and join. And uh, you can join in on the conversation. Give me your comments, your feedback. I'd love to uh, read some uh, feedback on the air here. And uh, that pretty much wraps up the segment. Next up, final segment. The struggle is real. So for years, I would, you know, call home every night and talk about how wonderful my day was. And, you know, let me tell you about my day. And, you know, this captain I flew with or this first officer that I flew with, you know, and and this is the joke they told me. And this is the, the, we went out to this restaurant and we had this meal and it was pretty good. And, and I would just dive into all the positive aspects of the job. And occasionally I'd even have to talk about the negative aspects, but those were far less and, you know, very few in between. So, you know, I'm a relatively positive person, uh, as you will find out as you journey along with me on this podcast. Uh, relatively positive person, I, I do my best to, to keep it that way, uh, to have a positive outlook on life and on the job. And not just this job, but every job I have to deal with. And this was an issue at the beginning. I had to learn my lesson the hard way. So I would, you know, call home and and tell my wife and that, you know, this is what I'm doing. And, you know, we're going to go to South Beach and we're going to go. I went for a run, you know, and, and it was awesome. And my crew was funny and, and my captain uh, told me this and this joke and, and oh, you got to hear this joke. And and she would just, uh-huh, uh-huh, oh, yeah. And then at the end of the conversation, she'd kind of be upset. And I could see that her her tone was not positive. And I couldn't figure it out. I was like, well, what, what, what's going on here? Why? Oh, you know, I got to go. You know, I'm just I'm doing laundry and, and I got to feed her daughter. I got to go. And it it took me a while to pull my head out of my ass, ladies and gentlemen. And I got to admit, uh, it, t- it took me a while, more than it should have. And I started to realize that I needed to change my uh, 
communication. And for all those of you out there that are thinking about becoming uh, an aviator in an airline industry or are, or are just starting out, or even those of you that have been doing it a long time and you can give me advice, I'd love to hear it. Um, but yeah, I just, I didn't call and immediately go into, uh, you know, I'd say, oh, how's your day? That's, I mean, that's always been the same. How's your day? How's it going? Uh, and then when there was like, okay, you know, she'd tell me about her day and I'd, then I'd go, oh yeah, uh, how's, she'd say, how's your overnight? Oh yeah, well, let me tell you. And that's when I would go off on my rant. And at the end of the conversation, she's like, oh, you know, she would leave a lot of things out. I would leave nothing out. And so I learned that, oh, well, okay, you know, uh, it's fine. You know, I'm really tired. You know, it was a seven hours of flying today and it's like a 13 hour duty day. And, and I'm just going to, I'm going to grab some food, whatever I can find, you know, which is the truth, you know, whatever I can find that's open, you know, it's probably going to be bar food or something. And it's, you know, I hate eating all these, you know, I don't do fast food unless I'm craving fast food. I don't do fast food. So at least I have that going for, uh, for me, but yeah, just, I, I no longer was boasting about how exciting it was and, and this and that. And I was a little bit more realistic to what was going on and that helped. It, it did help. Also what helped is I didn't have to tell her everything, uh, especially on the phone that night. I didn't have to tell her everything. A lot of times I would save the stories until I got home, until I gave it however long that period is. Every aviator goes through a period of time. They come home and the last thing they want to do is jump into some chores. They want to just take the suit off, take the, you know, the bag, empty out all the dirty clothes and just, just have a beer and relax. And that's very rarely possible. There needs to be an agreement between you and your spouse. Okay, when I come home, this is the amount of time I need. Okay, I, either an hour, two hours, six hours, a day, whatever. Well, depending on your schedule, obviously it could take you a day to recover. So, you know, these are the things that really are a struggle for most aviators. The relationship you have at home. You know, there's so many jokes and cliches out there about, you know, um, what we call in the industry is AIDS, airline-induced divorce syndrome, okay? And it's absolutely an issue. As a matter of fact, I need to pull up some studies on this. A police officer, I think it's number one. An airline pilot is number two in the country, or at least it was at the time I read this years back, for divorce rate. And how many times do you hear the cliche, oh, the captain has... You know, how, how do you know the captain's been flying for years? Well, how many wives do they have? You know, ex-wives, you know, three ex-wives, four ex-wives. Um, you know, and how broke are they because of that, you know, every time. So it's, it's, a, it's a cliche. It's, it's a, a joke, really. But in all seriousness, relationships and flying are difficult. And we've already gone over on time, but I'm going to dedicate more time to this topic and give you what I've learned over the years uh, in future episodes. That I will be talking more about in future episodes. It is a very important topic to discuss and trying to keep healthy relationships while flying in this career field. 
So thank you for listening. Uh, we do absolutely love your feedback, your support, your financial support as well. And if there's anything that you'd like uh, topic-wise to be discussed on a future episode, please drop me a line, send me a message, and we'd love to hear from you. And finally, I'd like to thank you, the listener, for tuning in, downloading Squawk Ident. From high above the 28th floor at the Prince Waikiki Hotel in Honolulu, Hawaii, this is Aviator Tony signing off. Take care and take care of each other.